and welcome to the Family Wealth Show. I'm Cherry Raynard. In this mini-series, we discuss in detail the key findings and insights from our latest biennial family business survey. In the last episode, we talked about the governance landscape for family businesses. Today, we examine whether the right governance can bring a sense of common purpose or even help to create a family brand. Joining me is Rupert Phelps, a partner in Smith & Williamson's Family Wealth Services. Welcome, Rupert. Hello, lovely to be with you again, Cherry. Um, now, last time we talked about the need for good governance structures and where family businesses could start. Um, this week, we're focusing on the real positives to be gained from good governance. Um, so with that in mind, I wonder if we could start by talking about how governance and purpose interact for family businesses. Yes, thank you. And it's lovely to continue from our previous episode of this. Now, governance, listening to what people said who kindly completed the survey, the major first lesson was that it is an ongoing process and it's one of collective decision making and deliberation. Now, that involves all the aspects of communications and convening people, connection between those, and then dissemination. And then for good governance to be effective, to be effective family governance, it is absolutely, as you said, something that needs to have an idea of purpose within it. Now, we're going to look more deeply at how values, purpose, and mission interate later on in this call. What I really think of when you ask that question is that purpose does flow from values first, and then from purpose leads on to mission. So it's an ongoing process of determination. Okay, and I mean, presumably this purpose should run through, the, really run through the DNA of a family business. But w- what does this look like in practice? I mean, presumably it impacts on the business itself, but also on the causes it chooses to support and things like that. And, and you know, the attitudes of suppliers and things like that. Well, I think DNA is an excellent way to start looking at this. I would add also that we did hear from the survey, and it would certainly accord with our experience at Smith & Williamson, that the starting point, the bedrock, is the values. And actually, one could argue that the DNA are the values and vice versa in many ways in terms of being the foundation of what a family stands for. And then those don't change. They're actuated and they're activated into the process of purpose, which might change depending on its environment, just as goals might change from it. So one can see in that view, we've called it before governance on a mission, the sense of determination I've mentioned and process towards goals. Purpose can and should flow through the initiatives and activities that a family seeks if it's well advised of itself and perhaps externally. The last point I'd make, Cherry, is that I do feel, I felt this before what I'm about to say, and the survey supports it, that often this journey, this process of being effective in one's governance is a process of uncovering and discovering codifying and then disseminating exactly what that DNA, what those values are through a mission-driven purpose. And are there certain risks inherent in not having that purpose? I mean, I'm thinking, for example, a, a lack of cohesion or the next generation isn't 
isn't properly involved or there's a fragmentation in the family. I think there's very apparent risk. And one only has to observe that the many, many surveys and many of them quoted in all different cultures and periods of time, and I won't summarise them now, but how few family businesses survive to the third generation, let alone beyond. So there is a present risk of failure in lots of different ways, but measured by the financial and business assets of a family. And lack of cohesion, lack of involvement, especially by the next generations, note the point we've made as to longevity, there may be two below the governance or decision-making element, and then fragmentation. Now, what might be lost to a family might not just be its financial assets. It might be its social capital, its sense of a family, its identity. We're going to look at that further in this episode. And then if that binding, that that glue that a family has, which hopefully it shares with at least some of its core values goes, then it is likely to drift and it's likely to be the poorer for it, not just poorer financially, but in a wider sense of the family identity. Okay. Um, and presuming that um, a family sort of buys into all that, how do they go about deciding on the purpose of the business? I mean, what are the best ways to embed it in the governance structure? Are there any examples that you've seen? Well, often a family business will have the governance documents you'd expect. And I mean, nearly always, it's clearly going to have its strategy. It may have a mission statement. Though families owning such businesses, more and more, they're looking at this, but many don't have the equivalent. And as I said in the previous episode, where the corporate governance and the family governance can learn and inform from each other, that can be enormously powerful. So the process of uncovering, as I've called it, what the family mission might be flowing from its values through its purpose can be really useful. Now, it might be relatively straightforward to them because they're so bound to the the business that they're very similar, or actually it can be quite different or it can be evolving. So thinking about values, purpose and mission in those order, and then the process of determining them can be incredibly useful. And then combining the governance documents, these could be the articles association of the business with a family mission statement within the family. Combining those together, I've seen families do that, where the process of putting those together and then sifting through the governance connections that flow from that is enormously beneficial to the sense of determination within them. In the survey, the families talked a lot about how useful they found meeting and proper collaboration and things like that. I wonder, from your point of view, what do you see as good practice in terms of family meetings and and how important are they? Well, I would say they're nothing less than essential. I don't usually use such strong and emphatic words, but I really do mean that. And there can be all sorts of situations, both in some sense it's negative and positive, when a family comes together. It's much better if it's done in a planned and organised way, with an agenda that's drawn up in advance, with people that are connected or involved having input into it, as, as you might expect me to say. But even then, it's better for the family to speak than not to speak. I wouldn't be shy of argument or dissent. That will happen if people engage. It's how it's addressed and how it's worked through. Many families that are large can have a family assembly to which all family members, that needs a definition, by the way, are entitled to come. And then a subset, which is a family council, which will probably have some governance function. It may be just on the family side, or it may even, in some instances, be the specific route to the board of directors 
of a family business. There can be all sorts of subcommittees. There could be a social committee of the family assembly. There could be junior boards. I absolutely love that example where literally young children can have some entry point into the family gathering or at the other end, a council of elders who have no fiduciary or governance explicit role, but where that sort of corporate and family memory is retained to the benefit of this collective decision-making and deliberation of a family uh, that owns a business. Just finally, um, are there any characteristics you'd you'd highlight um, about the sort of collaborative practices of the most successful family businesses? Well, I'm glad you've asked that, Cherry, because actually that that's an excellent way to finish because it's also a key consideration because there, there are some noticeable ones. And to be quite frank, if families don't display these, then, then they're going to struggle without particular help. And the first one I would say is an open attitude to collaboration. That might sound obvious, but it needs to be something that is, that is real um, and where there is a willingness to cooperate uh, with others, even if it does create some conflict, but which is then worked through, as I've said. And yes, the role of enablers and facilitators, clearly that can be very useful. One of the things I've noticed is that there has been a greater willingness in the last 15 or so, 10, 15, 20 years, to acknowledge the power of peer group learning. And there are various different gatherings, networks, organizations, which allow families to do that with, with or without sponsors. And I think the lessons from these can be absolutely essential. So I would summarize that excellent question to say not only by being um, open in attitude, but actually by initiating and looking to start it, often with the right governance, to actually gather together in a suitably confidential way and learn from other families and share all of the wisdom that can come from working through these problems, which every family faces. That's great. Okay, thank you, Rupert. Um, To find out more about the Family Business Survey or to learn more about our services, uh, we'll include a link in the show notes along with all the references we've spoken about in this episode. Our next episode covers how to get the next generation involved in the family business. Please subscribe and rate us and review us in the App Store. Until next time. This S&W The Pulse podcast is of a general nature and is not a substitute for professional advice. No responsibility can be accepted for the consequences of any action taken or refrained from as a result of what is said. The views expressed are not necessarily those of the presenter or of Smith & Williamson or any of its affiliates. No reproduction of this podcast may be made in whole or in part for professional or recreational purposes. No action should be taken based on this podcast and we accept no liability if we change your views on any of the subjects mentioned. Copyright Tilney Smith and Williamson Limited.